we are just going to go for it because it's Sunday and I'm two days late to the podcast. Hi everyone, and I'm so sorry for uploading this late. I'm just recording it now on Sunday. What's the time? Quarter to six on the 23rd of August. And I have just felt absolutely exhausted and drained this week. I don't know whether anyone else is feeling the same. There must be something in the water. But I usually find that a week or so before my period, I just get absolutely floored with exhaustion. And I've noticed this more and more now, like the the pattern over lockdown and just being at home. I've been way more in tune with my body and how it's feeling. And it's always the week before, or at least 10 days before, where I just feel so tired mood swingy, anxious, and then the period comes and then you just feel even worse. So to any women out there, I feel you. I feel you. To any man out there, you just got to learn these things, don't you? We have periods. We bleed through our vaginas. So how has everyone's weeks been? I have been reading, I started it last night, Sue Chung's book called Chinglish, which is one of the first, I think the first book I've ever read, which talked about being British-born Chinese and the takeaway life. So far, it's really funny. It's really upbeat. It's really lighthearted. I have a feeling it's going to take a dark turn. I've heard some things. I don't know, but I'm really enjoying it so far. So shout out to Sue Chung. I was also on Kim from Nano Sounds live stream Twitch. So I was on a Twitch stream thing, which I've never, ever done before. So the Twitch stream was basically for End the Virus of Racism. We were campaigning on raising money as a fundraiser for End the Virus of Racism. And we raised nearly five grand. How incredible is Kim? She's done such an amazing job. And it was so much fun. I was only on for half an hour. And Evelyn Mock and Ken Cheng, who were also on the podcast, actually, they also made guest appearances too. And we were talking about... Kim was talking about how she listened to one of my episodes talking about friendships and how I was talking about being a radiator versus being a drainer and what type of friend are you and that if you're a radiator you radiate warmth you're a really lovely person to be around and a drainer you're the type of person to like essentially just drain the energy out of people and so we were talking about that and for some reason I said to her oh, I see you as a drainer. As soon as I met you, I thought you were a drainer. I was like, oh my God, no, wait, I meant radiator. I meant radiator. And because it's live, you can't do anything about it. So that's now captured forever and ever. Someone clipped it. So on Twitch, you can take a segment of the video and then that becomes a shareable link. So someone actually clipped that and then she shared that with me afterwards being like, lol. And I died a little bit, but it was quite funny. So that was great and really, really positive day for the End the Virus of Racism team. So we're going to get straight into it. There's no How Asian Are You Today because because I haven't prepared any. I'm really sorry. (laughs) I'm really sorry. There is literally no reason other than I haven't prepared one. But we're going to talk about something that is a pretty tricky topic to talk about because this isn't like, it, okay, there's there's more pressing issues going on in the world at the moment, so I want to make that clear. But also, I feel like it's important to talk about this. Uh, I'm going to talk about a particular food cook influencer person. And my aim here isn't to cancel anyone. I mean, I don't really have the authority to do that anyway. I think that's really overestimating my audience on here. 
and the fact that this person's audience caters very much to a white audience. And so I really don't think me, one person talking about this, is going to do any harm or anything to this person. But I wanted to talk through a bit of a situation that I had recently with this person. So essentially this person is Pippi Eats and she is from Manchester and she is known for cooking Asian food, so particularly noodles and dumplings. And she's very good at it. So she basically had on her website that as a kid, her granddad would take her and her brothers to a dim sum restaurant in Liverpool. She's always loved trying new things and exciting things. So she's taught herself how to make dumplings and noodles. And now she's sharing what she's learnt with other people. She was on TV and she won the Britain's Best Home Cook in 2018. So she's grown a following from that platform. And she essentially became famous because she teaches people how to make really easy instant ramen and dumplings from stuff you have in the fridge. So why do I know her? So I don't actually know her, but my sister bought us tickets to her noodle workshop in Manchester and it was really good fun. You know, we we learned how to make ramen noodles, bang bang noodles, and I enjoyed it. And clearly she can make better noodles and dumplings than I can. So I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at the fact that she can make good food. That's absolutely fine. When I was there, we asked her what was her connection to Asian food because, you know, she obviously seemed very, very into it and has made a career out of it. And so we were keen to know whether she has any Asian heritage, any background in in being Asian at all. I don't know whether she lived in Asia for a period of time. And she subsequently told us the granddad story too. So she used to go to the dim sum restaurants in Liverpool, etc, etc. And at that stage, she hadn't been on her trip to Asia. She did a, a few weeks in Asia. But at that stage, she still hadn't been yet. So she'd never actually visited Asia at that point. And so... Like, we all found that fine. I found that fine. Just something didn't feel right. I kind of felt like, oh, this is so funny that a white woman is teaching me how to make noodles, but it's something that I've eaten my whole life, and now she's doing this as a job. And I never really knew how to articulate that because I wasn't sure how I felt. And me and my sisters, we had debates over it because I end up speaking to one of my friends who is very good at articulating feelings on racism and social topics and he basically said like the reason well the reason why I think you feel this way is because she's profiteering off your culture without experiencing any of the hardships of it it was true actually I never really thought about it I never really could articulate how I felt about it why it sat a bit uncomfortable with me but still even then I supported what she did I followed her on Instagram it was great to see someone um, promoting East and Southeast Asian culture. Um, it was only until I started noticing as well smaller things that really would irk me. So things like she would write in Chinese when I'm pretty sure she doesn't know how to write in Chinese. So she would like caption her posts in Chinese and I don't really know who that was for because it's not as if she's got a predominantly Asian audience. Like she's got a white audience. And so I found that a bit odd. Like who are you writing this for? And what is the purpose? You know, what, what is it serving? Because you, you you don't know how to write it. So we just Googled that from the internet. I don't understand. Um, but apart from that, never really had any 
negative feelings towards her at all. In fact, always supported her. I thought what she was doing was great. Really enjoyed it. I've used her noodle recipe since. Um, I've taken it to other friends' houses because she can cook better noodles and dumplings than I can. So why would we try to deny her of that? That's not the reason why I want to talk about her at all. Um, But when it came to the petition which I've been promoting recently we we looked at the a list of people who could potentially help our cause so who could potentially support our cause and I mentioned Pippa Eats because obviously knowing that she supports Eastern Southeast Asian culture and food I thought well this is a no-brainer of course she's going to be on board with this because it's something that directly impacts the community that she's promoting and profiting from so I messaged her and essentially asked her to share the petition and I basically said that I know you have a lot I know you must have a large Asian audience who loves your food and will care about this cause and I told her what the cause was about and then I sent her some posts that I had recently written on Instagram and shared on Instagram and then she said of course thank you for sharing and I said you're a real one Pippa thank you and then I shared her shared with her something else and then she replied back saying, I want to say I'm shocked, but I'm not. The media are a disgrace. I'll have a good read and share. And I said, thank you. When I found out that the top UK editors are all white, I was like, and then I did like a face palm emoji. And then that was on the 18th of July. And then I hadn't heard anything. And I thought, okay, that's fair enough. Like she obviously she has her own life. She's got her own stuff going on. I'm not going to like badger her and, you know, force her to share anything anytime soon. And then it came to the 20th of July when I woke up and I saw that she had shared it on Twitter, which was fine. Uh, Bearing in mind that on her Twitter, she has around 2,000 followers and on her Instagram account, she has 48,000 followers. And so I was just a bit like, that's interesting. So how come she shared on Twitter but not on Instagram yet? And being quite honest, that is a conscious decision. You know, she's got, she knows she has a large following on Instagram she could have put a swipe up link she could have done anything um on Twitter she I think she retweeted or just shared my petition I can't quite remember now I'll have to check so I messaged her and I said hey Pippi thank you so much for sharing on Twitter are you able to share the petition on Instagram please having this shared with your audience on here would no doubt be really powerful I hope that is okay I'll share a resource which hopefully is a nicer asset to share would mean the world thank you And then I shared with her an asset that um, my friend Amy had designed. And then she said, hey, Viv, please don't worry, I will be sharing. And I said, thanks so much, Pippa. Um, Yet, I hadn't seen anything for a good few days. One of my friends commented on her post and said, like, you've posted on here, but we haven't seen you share the petition. Are you able to share it? I can't quite remember exactly what the comment said. And then Pippa DM'd her directly and said, hi, can I talk to you about... Uh, your comment and then she basically went to say that she says I understand completely that you need to apply pressure to get your message heard but that's not needed here I'm behind this already I have signed the petition and shared it and I planned on sharing again and then my friend said she said I have shared the petition it was viewed by 12,000 people and then she said on Twitter or on Instagram, she said on my Instagram story, I plan to share again next week. I know my audience and find that my posts garner the most attention slash engagement when posted with some time in between. The best way to disengage my followers is to bombard them. 
And then my friend said, okay, thanks. This was missed by six people who have watched your Instagram stories every day, unfortunately. I don't know how this has slipped us. And then she said, thank you. I honestly do understand the need to use pressure where it's needed, but publicly reprimanding allies don't garner further support. It serves to alienate supporters from the campaign. I was really pleased to see it it going to Parliament and I wish you all the best with the campaign. So my friend then had a rebuttal to that because like you can imagine, saying things like publicly reprimanding allies doesn't garner further support. Like who are you to self-label as an ally, as a white person? It's continual work and you don't get to post a few social posts about Black Lives Matter and then claim your ally badge. You know, if a community in which you're profiteering from says something that they need for you to listen to, then listen and don't defend your position. You know, we can all do better and you can't carry on calling yourself an ally when in these situations it very much feels like you're not being an ally. One thing I had an issue with is just how defensive and patronising her responses were and rather than being open and listening to what my friend had to say, she had decided to say that this person was publicly reprimanding her. And also we were asking for the bare minimum, you know, we were asking for the bare minimum of them sharing on Instagram. And it was so funny how none of us had seen that post. And what really, really irked me is that she said that she shared on Instagram, but then when it came to her raising her own crowdfunder for her noodle house, which it sounds like a great thing, she continued to push that again and again on her stories for days, for weeks until she raised whatever amount she needed to raise. I think it was like over 40k. And yet a couple of stories somehow would disengage your audience. I just found it entirely hypocritical and really, really quite defensive and virtue signalling, you know. So I wasn't really that pleased with that response. From that moment, I have completely lost any respect that I had for this person, had for Pippi, because because it just feels extremely performative at this stage. You know, having to really eke something out of someone. And you might think, but why would she care? Why would she care? She's a she's got her own thing going on. She's a she's a white woman and she's not gonna care as much. And it's like, well, you should though. You should care. Just because she's a white person who has her own stuff going on, it doesn't mean that she shouldn't be trying to do as much as she can to give back to the community when the wider systemic issue of the fact that she has been raised in her platform to promote her own book, she's she's been on TV, which fair enough, off her own back, people are supporting her and, and somehow she's made Asian food cool, whereas East and Southeast Asian people have been teased for it for generations. You know, our food is seen as weird and strange and not not cool, but somehow when a white person does it, it's somehow trendy and cool. And then I came across a post by Tiffany, Tiff Cookalot. So she's a Taiwanese American woman and I just somehow found it on Instagram. I can't remember how. Tiffany decided to share a post and it doesn't reference who she's talking about, but I decided to share her posts with mine talking about my experience with Pippa. So Tiffany essentially said, these odd hours are are the only time I get to think about things not very related. Recently, I've been feeling quite irked by seeing an iconic Taiwanese dish published in a magazine written by a non-Asian. I didn't think it would bother me. After all, this individual has shown they have a knack for Asian cuisine, probably even better than me, at least on the specific topic of Chinese cuisine that I know very little of and have no problem buying packaged ones. 
I had to check myself why it was bothering me so much. I mean, it's not the first time a non-Asian publishes Asian cookbook recipes and it's never bothered me before. I even read some of them. Some I love, some I roll my eyes and think, what is this BS? Actually, I take back the non-Asian bit. There are some shitty Asian cooks publishing Asian cookbooks as well and no one questions it because they look the part. That irks me too, but why did this bother me so much? Then I realised it's because the first time seeing an iconic Taiwanese dish on a national magazine that I was excited for for all of two seconds, then I read it was written by someone who has zero connection to Taiwan, like Zilch. I bet until recently, many had no idea where Taiwan is. Do you know how many times I've said I'm from Taiwan and the person would then say, oh, you're you're Thai. Oh, that's Thailand, right? Since Taiwan isn't recognised officially as a country, if I use my Taiwanese passport to travel anywhere, I'm still scrutinised over at customs and I'm told this place doesn't exist. Once on a flight, I was already on the plane, only had to have three attendants approach me and demand to see my passport again because they didn't trust Taiwan to be a legitimate place. That is wild. So imagine my surprise when I see a Taiwanese recipe in a magazine. Hooray! Oh, not written by a Taiwanese person. Just because you went on a holiday or research trip does not mean you should be given a platform to share such a classic dish. I've been to France a gazillion times. No one is going to give a shit how I cook beef bourguignon or cockafan. So I went into the rabbit hole of reading more about non-Asians with their authentic cookbooks. It's usually the same spiel. I went backpacking, gap year, working holiday, research trip into enter Asian countries for enter number of weeks, months. And my recipes are inspired by those trips. So you go on a trip and eat tripe and your audience thinks you're adventurous and amazing. I shared that my kid eat chicken feet and pig trotters and I'm told that's disgusting and that Asians just eat anything that moves. I actually don't mind non-Asians publishing recipes from my home, but you've got to give me more than just because I went on a trip. Food stories are what I live for. It's what influences my cooking as well. Food has feelings. Your recipe have to give me feelings. Regardless of your colour, it's got to have some solid backgrounds and histories. It's like what David Chang said on people making kimchi trendy. You didn't earn it. You weren't then you weren't made fun of your entire life and then have some white dude come onto the scene to suddenly make it a musty item and now everything everyone puts kimchi on everything. And then she goes on to say just be mindful of the shit you put out there too. I have been mindful too. I'm no saint. I make mistakes all the time, but at least I'm honest. Actually, I have more respect for people who just flat out say, I'm doing this to make money because I like money. Okay, the end. And so I will share in the show notes her entire post. So we don't know whether this is about Pippi, but I shared this on my Instagram stories talking about Pippi and then hadn't at that stage said who it was, but I think it was quite evident because I mentioned the Noodle House. I mentioned her Noodle Workshops. Um, and I mentioned the story about her granddad taking her to restaurants and, and supermarkets, etc. And so it receives a lot of interaction with people on my Instagram. Considering my Instagram is a very small platform, quite a few people had actually messaged me saying that they felt the same about Pippi. And it was quite obvious that I was talking about Pippi. And then someone shared with me a a Twitter thread by an LA reporter and she said basically that she saw a new cookbook for Asian dumplings and noodles, looked up the author and then dot 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 and so within Pippi's website she essentially talks about the fact that she works in cancer research, she's obsessed with Asian food, she's loved it since she was a child um, and her granddad would take her to a dim sum restaurant in Liverpool 
And then she basically says things like, I used to love trying all the new and exciting things. My brother really hated the egg drop soup, but I loved all the unusual textures. Underneath the restaurant was an Asian supermarket full of strange and alien ingredients. This is where my obsession with Asian cooking began. To this day, I still go to that same Asian supermarket for all my ingredients and I still eat at the same dim sum restaurant with my father. Okay, so that's basically what she said on her website. And then the journalist then shares an article which is really interesting and I'll read some bits from that later. So she essentially was saying that, in case you're wondering, her book intro is more or less an expanded version of her About Me page with this grandfather in particular that I had to read twice. So she essentially says in her book intro, I taught myself using the classics, Ken Hom's simple Asian cookery, Ching Hei Huang's Chinese food made it easy, but I wanted more authenticity, more of those strange textures, more of those unusual ingredients. Stinky tofu, doban jing, what were they used for and what do they taste like? My quest for authenticity led me to Future Dunlop's online blogs. So Future Dunlop is a white woman who has lived in China um, for a long time and she is a cook in her own right and she very much is immersed in that culture and yet she's still another white person but she's but Pippi's saying she's looking for more authenticity so she goes to a white person for that which I just find strange so the, the author's called Ji Jenny Zhao she also points out that she sells bespoke chilli oils and chilli crisp her testimonials point out they're like crystal meth and crack so that's how Pippi has described it herself on her website <laughs> and she then went on to tweet and say I'm ruminated why this bothers me so much my dad owned ran a tiny takeout restaurant long hours came home smelling like a fryer so much of his business was cooking up food we'd never eat slash he didn't recognize as his own the value of authenticity didn't translate of profits for him all the countless others from our province who immigrated to the Western world. In fact, livelihoods are still built on catering to customers who sometimes seem to loathe us, hate us. Even now, my relationship with Chinese food is built on disconnected and built is built on how disconnected I feel as a Chinese-born Chinese American. I've forgotten Mandarin, can barely cobble together sentences in my native dialect, but being able to cook Chinese dishes is what makes me feel Chinese. And then Pippi then took down her website without any explanation and just basically um, she said, no word from Pippi Eats, but her blog is having a makeover. I didn't think my tweet would blow up the way it did. Really hope she thinks about the language she uses. So many people now claim to support diversity and inclusion, but to avoid these combos when it comes to themselves. And so we saw that and then I just felt completely like, okay, my first initial gut feeling was right in the sense that something fell off. And I should have trusted that because I doubted myself when other people told me, no, you're thinking too much into this. It's not a big deal, which just goes to show again, never doubt yourself, never doubt yourself. And so a couple of days ago, Pippi had her publication date for her book and she continued to share these stories, which I'll read out to you now. She essentially said, I finished writing the book over 12 months ago and it's called Dumplings and Noodles. Since then, I've learned a lot. It's been a steep learning curve in a new career. I'm always open to people reaching out to me as I continue in this work. I really want to keep the dialogue open. This is a work in progress. These are my first steps. I will constantly strive to use my influence and privilege to uplift marginalised communities around me. 
some important things I've learned to accept my own limitations and use these as a benchmark to do better. Acknowledging that my success is aided by systems of social inequality, unequal representation and white privilege. Learning about a cuisine or a recipe can never replace a lived experience or a heritage. It is my responsibility to continue learning the histories of the cultures of the food I cook, especially as these are often from marginalised groups. I also want to acknowledge that I've learned about how I can do better with the words I use and it's vital to take more time to find the best way to explain and frame what I'm trying to say. I never want to cause offence to anyone and I'm truly sorry if I have upset anyone so far. It's an important part of my job to work harder on the use of my language. Going forward, here are some things I will be doing. I will be holding myself and others accountable and starting open, respectful and constructive conversations about appropriation and misrepresentation when I see it. I will always look to work and collaborate with BIPOC people where possible in the future work. I am listening. I will always engage in conversations that are honest, respectful, constructive and helpful. Without these conversations, change can't happen. It's so important that there is an ongoing dialogue in the food industry and issues around unequal representation and right privilege. I have been having a lot of these conversations off social media that have been really helpful for my growth and learning. I will continue to have these so should everyone. So that was on the day of her publication launch and it just sat, sat funny with me and I kind of felt like she was backed into a corner because she was publishing this book. She didn't want to get the backlash. I'm assuming her management PR people told her in order to combat this, you need to address it in some way. Because why? Why on publication date? Why have you just waited until the day that you are launching something, again, something that you are profiteering from, to talk about this now when you have probably known this all along? Like, I don't doubt that her intentions aren't pure. I don't doubt that she just wants to make Asian food. But to completely ignore a community who right now you are affecting in some way, then you need to listen to that. And a lot sooner than just popping it on your Instagram stories, the day that you are launching something else that is going to benefit you. And so she posted on her grid that is publication date. I'm so excited to finally share my first cookbook with everyone. Can't wait to share all your, see all your dumplings and noodle creations. Please share them with me. Blah, blah. The process of bringing my kitchen notebooks to life was really fun and came with its own set of challenges and that, that I've talked about more in my story slash highlights. Now I'm like, that is such a cop out. I'm sorry, but you have decided to post this on your Instagram stories, which are fleeting. How often will people go and watch your highlights? And you've not addressed this in your grid because do people, I don't know why, I don't know why you hadn't. And so I'd commented, I commented on it because, you know, it was overwhelmingly white people who were congratulating her. And I saw one comment from someone saying, hi, Pippi, please can you put your apology from your Instagram stories permanently onto your grid, please, so you can be held accountable. Stories disappear, it seems a bit performative, and that's had nine likes. And I just said, I have to agree. I think acknowledging what you can do better is the first step. And popping it on stories and mentioning the challenges seems to glaze over what is a bigger issue than a few stories that's a few story posts can't satiate. I support what you do. They wonder that you've had no choice but to address it on your publication date. Really rooting for you to follow through on your words. And I just felt like it's a cop out at this stage because my friend has had a negative experience with her. I've seen the bare minimum in terms of her supporting our cause. 
I just think there's, there's too many excuses to be made, you know, no doubting she's a nice person, okay? We're not doubting that, that's not in dispute in the slightest, but what she's doing has impact despite the intention, and that's really important to distinguish, just the fact that her intention is good, the impact currently isn't very good in terms of the East and Southeast Asian community, towards a white community, completely fine. And so I wanted to also read a comment by um, Anna Sulan. So Anna is a writer and she talks a lot about food and drink and she highlights that this is part of a wider system that essentially erases the voice of people of colour. And she commented on Tiff Cook's lot um, Instagram and said, to me, this is absolutely about erasure. So again, we don't know who she's talking about here, but I think it's just a very important point to pull out. To me, this is absolutely erasure and tiny erasure leads to larger violence. One white lady writing an ill-informed Taiwanese recipe is meh if there was loads of Taiwanese writers getting published. So this isn't about her, it's about the system. It's about the editor that commissioned the piece without question. It's about a system that allowed a white writer to become an expert on anything and yet a migrant can come to this country and learn the language and culture and still receive violence and othering as they are no as they are not considered an expert local in the country they live in. It's about valuing and giving platforms to white writers over non-white writers. So if it's not about this one white, white woman and her recipe, what can we do? What can she do? How can the system change? Well, this one writer can be open about her privilege. She can turn down a commission for it to be done by a Taiwanese writer. She can platform Asian chefs on her large platform. So many things. She might not be the mechanism that is the problem, but she can be the solution. Because what all this does is erase Asian and other voices from the mainstreams, which means paints a picture and they don't exist. They are marginalised. And that is what leads to violence if those voices are not seen as valuable. She's hit the nail on the head here because, well, she's essentially articulated what I've been trying to say the entire time in that it's a wiser issue in terms of the media publication houses that are picking and choosing white voices over other people and if if we were seeing Pippi thriving which is great we don't want to take away from her success but if we saw other people other east and southeast asian cooks being represented in the same way then i wouldn't have an issue at all but because we don't we see a lack of our community's voices being heard in every single media outlet and this is just another example. She is just an example, essentially. She is a player in a game and the game is corrupt and the system doesn't work and she is just a player within this game. So I'm going to read an article by Lorraine Chuen who writes on intersectionalanalyst.com and she talks about who gets to be an authority on ethnic cuisines. And essentially she pulls out some quite interesting points in that she doesn't doubt that these people are talented chefs, but what irks me is that many will argue that they deserve the title of authority and that despite their whiteness, they are hardly foreigners. After all, many of these chefs have had years of classical training in the countries they personalise in. They've learned the language. They know the people. They've immersed themselves in the culture. They've studied the craft. How positively adventurous. How very admirable. But here's the thing. My parents and every other immigrant moved to a new country and learned the language, got to know the people adopted their way of life simply because they were forced to and not because it was fun or exotic or interesting or something that they were curious or passionate about. How come we don't see swaths of immigrants being publicly lauded for culturally assimilating? 
is only special when white people do it, I guess. White folks have the power to torment, often without consequence, but the special thing about white people is that they have the power to make a trip to your home country for a month or maybe 12, get inspired and dictate when your previously unpalatable dishes suddenly become socially acceptable, trendy and profitable in the Western world. And inevitably, with the popularisation of certain ethnic dishes, comes erasure. I can't help but wonder what becomes of dishes when they are prepared for the white gaze, or in this case, white palate. What remains of food after it's been decontextualised? What are flavours without stories? What are recipes without histories? Why are people of colour forgotten over and over again, while their food, also vocabulary, music, art, hair, clothing, are consumed and adopted? I really agree, and I'm really glad that I found these people to articulate it in a way better than I ever could. So what can she do? You know, what can she do? Because all is not lost. We really hope for the best. But at this stage, I reserve my cynicism after my experience and a few other people who have privately messaged me about their own experience with Pippi. I reserve my cynicism. I've yet to see her do any of the things that she's said she's going to do. And, you know, you might argue, give her time. It was posted only just this week. But I know that recently someone has shared uh, the end the virus of racism cause with her and we're yet to see her help promote it. I don't know. I'm just saying. And yet she's posted photos of her holidays. It just goes to show where the priority is. But I really want to see how people like Pippi and not just Pippi support and reference people of colour's food and the, the, the recipes that you've taken inspiration from. You know, give them credit where credit is due. Use your profits to donate back to the communities that you're benefiting from. She says she's going to do this. I'm going to wait and see how she's going to do this with Noodle House. Use her platform. Use your platform and voice to support the causes that East and Southeast Asian people are asking you to do and do it generously without defensiveness or without ego. And don't also act like we should be grateful for you to do the bare minimum. You know, we're not asking for much here. We're really not. And I'm sick of feeling like we have to, if I'm honest. I'm sick of feeling like every time we ask someone who is on an elevated status or is white, we should feel grateful when if you're calling yourself an ally, this should just be part and parcel with what you do, especially when you're talking about our culture. You're profiteering from our culture. So that's essentially it. I've kind of run out of steam. Um, because I've thought about this a lot. I've wondered whether I should talk about this because I know that cancel culture is probably going to come up when I talk about this. I know that I'm probably going to get people disagreeing with what I'm saying, and that is completely fine. You know, it's fine for us to have discussions about this. I know that I've had some offline about me talking about this publicly, but it's my truth. And the wider picture is what I'm saying Unfortunately, it's not going to make a difference at all in terms of this wider issue. If if anything, I hope it brings to light just a bit more understanding in terms of why some people feel this way, you know? And I know that within our own community, I've had debates with people and we don't all agree. And that's fine. I don't want people to just agree for the sake of it. It's okay to have differences of opinions and it's okay to voice those too in a respectful way. Uh, But this is my experience and a few other people's and I thought it was really important to highlight and address because I just feel better after doing it, you know? It's like my form of therapy. Um, And 
hopefully it means that I can move on from this. I'm going to keep a close eye on what's going on. I really hope that the publishing industry and other industries alike take notice of what's going on because, you know, it's not new. This isn't new that white voices are profiteering off other cultures. It's not a new thing in the slightest. If you have any questions, if you want to talk to me about what I've talked about, then my DMs are always open. I've had really good discussions with people about it and I'm going to continue to do so because it can only benefit everyone if we all learn from each other. So I hope you all stay safe. I hope you're all well. I'm going to go and continue eating my shrimp crisps, which are next to me right now, rather than eating dinner that's been left for me downstairs because that's what I feel like. I just feel like eating my shrimp crisps. And I hope to see you all soon. And I'm very sorry that I'd completely derailed the schedule for this week. Take care. Bye.